Hi, and welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about weight loss resistance, metabolic health, fat loss, however you want to term it, how this impacts inflammation, your ability to heal, and not just weight loss, right? Everything in between. So learning how to avoid things like obesogens and endocrine disruptors, uh, healing your metabolism, the mechanisms of fat, why diets don't work, and how do we optimize all these things. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Okay, so this is another topic that's so near and dear to my heart. It's also one that's so oversimplified and we get caught up in this, I know I need to eat less and move more situation, which we were told for such a long time. Um, But it's really important to know that weight loss resistance, metabolic health, things like that, they are determined by things like our toxin load. We're gonna talk more about that in just a minute. Our level of hydration, our meal timing, we talk about blood sugar and insulin. We'll go deeper into that. Uh, the quality of our sleep, right? Um, the level of our stress day to day, the love, the amount of activity we do. Are we overtraining? Are we actually recovering? That sort of thing. Um, inflammation load, our microbiome, which highly, highly impacts uh, what impacts our blood sugar and insulin. Uh, we'll go deeper into that as well. But so many things, right? It's so much more complex than this calories in, calories out model that we've been sold for so long. Just so you know, in my family, uh, when we see that red light that something's wrong, we start to see signs of insulin resistance. So whether it's fat gain, um, memory issues, eye issues, uh, Alzheimer's on the worst end, It's definitely my family's red flag. And it's something that I was kind of in denial about for a long time and have been diving deeper into this the past few years, really tuning into what my own blood sugar was doing, my individual carb tolerance, how to work with that around our cycle, um, which we'll talk about a little bit more too, because our food impacts us differently, not just at different parts in the day, but also different parts of our hormonal rhythms. So I've been in the health and fitness world for about 15 plus years. I started as a trainer, um, and what we learned there is a lot different than what actually I found to work and protect hormones and actually be in a sustainable fashion when it comes to losing weight, losing body fat, and keeping it off. Um, I've spent so much time and money and energy on my own metabolic healing, doing all the things that I thought were the right things to do, the things I was trained as a trainer, as a nutritionist. Um, But it gives me the insight and it gives me the guidance to help the thousands of clients that I work with day to day, right? So now it's kind of like I've compiled all this information that I've learned from the past 15 plus years, applying it to my own life, my clients' lives, and really knowing the ins and outs of what what we're actually up against. And we'll talk about some of those factors. And why do we have to think about this more than ever? And we'll kind of go into that too. There's a lot of things. We know the food industry has changed. Our toxin loads have changed. We have a lot of things that our body's working against day to day to just stay in a homeostatic place. And our metabolism is not separate from that, right? When we are stuck in survival, we're running on stress hormones, things like that, the last thing our body's thinking of doing is, hey, I'm going to be in really optimal metabolic place right now, right? It can't. It can't get to homeostasis. So let's start diving into, I kind of want to start this conversation talking about how diets do not work long term. Um, And trust me when I tell you I've done about every single diet. I've honestly never been like 
completely obese, but I have struggled with my weight for such a long time. And I think a lot of it was because I was overtraining. I wasn't doing things the right way, cutting calories way too low, which was damaging my metabolism and my thyroid. Um, but never looked on the outside unless it was some dramatic thing that I did to actually lose weight and get to that place, but never looked on the outside how I felt on the inside, if that makes sense. And I really wanted that to match up. So by digging into these things the past couple of years, I've really been able to get to that place and keep it. And so that's why I'm so excited to talk about some of these things and how that's looked for me and how it looks for most people, right? Like it's kind of, it's a journey and you have to meet yourself where you're at and you know you can't expect things to change overnight but when your body's supported and you're doing the right things and you're supporting hormones and stress and sleep and all of the above things happen really quickly so all right so diets they don't work long term for a few reasons for one if inflammation blood sugar insulin toxin load are not being addressed we're going to talk more about toxins and fat the actual dynamic of fat what it's doing for us um, but the stressor and the cause is still there. So essentially, we our body's fat storage, right? Whether that is skinny fat, which happens a lot of times, it's not always just this obesity epidemic, right? Sometimes it is fat that's accumulating on your liver or fat that's causing estrogen dominance, but it looks like endometriosis instead of actual fat gain. So it does look a little differently for everybody. Um, but the other reason why diets don't work is because the body actually doesn't love being in the same macronutrient situation every single day, every day of the week, right? Things change and you need to work with your body's rhythm. It needs more of that cyclical, we're cyclical beings and we have to learn to work with that cyclical nature in order to support hormones because there's so many things like just say fasting for an example. Fasting is an incredible healing tool that you can use, but if you fast too much, you're going to make cortisol too high. You're going to have a down-regulated thyroid, right? So it's all about that balance. And so the body does way better if you are learning how to cycle things in and out and work with the, your daily rhythm, your hormonal rhythm, things like that. Um, and then the other thing about diets is they're extremely restrictive, right? And so let's just say um, we're doing a low-fat diet and we're, we're down to 30 grams. And this is kind of that personal training mentality that I was initially taught and trained with too. And it just looking back and seeing how many hormones are probably wrecked by being so low fat. It's just kind of mind blowing. But, and those are the people I'm now helping pull out, right? Like the people who have been competing and bodybuilding and things like that. Now they have been so low fat for so long, um, or haven't been cycling around their, you know, hormonal rhythms. And now they're as to a state of insulin resistance or malabsorption, whatever that may be. So the body needs to cycle, it needs rhythm. And we have these natural innate rhythms. We have our circadian rhythm, our hormonal rhythm. And so the sooner we can learn to cycle things in and out and also thinking about in and out of our stress loads and our activity, it's not the same every single day. So expecting to have the same macronutrient um, component to your meal just doesn't make sense, especially females who are gonna show those signs of stress when our hormones are being affected way sooner than our male counterparts. So what I was getting at was that, let's just say you're low fat, you're doing 30 grams and you get to a plateau, right? Well, the mentality is, well, hey, now we need to go down to 20, right? 
Um, and, or like if you're at 1500 calories, well, now you need to cut down to a thousand. And that was the mentality back in the day. And it, you can see how devastating that is because your metabolism is a thermostat. And so if you've lost weight and you're eating 12 or 1500 calories a day or whatever, anything that you eat over that will now be gained as fat. So your thyroid and your metabolism will meet you where you're at when you start to lower calories in such a restrictive way. And it really will take a hit. So it, it takes some time in rebalancing to uh, make your metabolic processes feel safe after some extreme dieting like that. I also have worked with so many clients that are told to consume ridiculous amounts of protein. I am very much an advocate of cycling in high protein days. I am not a fan of being high protein 24 seven. It never worked for me. And when you understand the dynamic of protein in each meal, what, and we all have our individual threshold, maybe 20 to 30 grams, anything over that level gets processed the same as it would carbohydrates. So why we think protein is not going to spike our blood sugar for a very insulin resistant person, Protein on its own actually will spike blood sugar. So I'm not trying to put fear out about protein, but I'm just saying if you have malabsorption and you have insulin resistance in your, you know, in your realm and it's being considered and your blood sugar is super erratic, being heavy, heavy on protein is not the answer at this moment. You have to think about including more foods that don't spike blood sugar and that being fats and fatty acids are when our body's healing, fatty acids is what we need because that's going to help with cell regeneration, our cell membrane, all of those th factors. So, and think of it too, I have clients who are coming to me, they're on, you know, 200 whatever grams of protein and they have gut issues and their gut can't heal because that's so heavy on the digestion. It's stealing so many digestive enzymes, right? It's, it's taking a lot of effort. And, um, and if the body's not absorbing it anyway, because you have a high pathogen load or low stomach acid, could you be doing more harm than good? And the answer is yes, but it does depend on the individual. So I'm not saying protein's the devil. I'm just saying it's important to meet yourself where you currently exist. And is that the answer to your weight loss woes? In my case, definitely not. I see a lot of people that are over consuming protein. And the other thing too, is when you have that high of a goal, you're going to be eating more frequently. And we'll talk about how that really will derail your process because it's going to keep you so highly, highly insulin dominant. The other thing that I personally experience, and I see people getting kind of thrown through this ringer is that we are blaming thyroid and sex hormones for our weight loss resistance. And I can tell you from experience that thyroid issues are a symptom, not a cause, right? The thyroid becomes downregulated because of other stressors in the body, deficiencies, heavy metals, halogen exposure, and really just chronic stress, right? And think too, what, where is the thyroid hormone assimilated? And it's in the gut and in the liver. So if you have gut distress, you have liver distress, you're going to have thyroid issues. And also thinking about insulin is what blocks that conversion of inactive to active form of thyroid. So there's a lot more going on than just taking more thyroid hormone. And how many people do you honestly know got on thyroid hormone and all of a sudden just stopped dropping weight? Like it just doesn't happen. It definitely didn't happen for me. It was not the answer. And it was a band-aid just to get lab levels right. But the problem and the root cause was still there. 
One little side note that I want to put is most of the dieting studies were run on males and the male hormonal rhythm is a 24 hour rhythm. The female rhythm is a 28 day cycle. And so that's why, you know, the other thing is men have more muscle mass. They have a higher metabolic rate and they are less susceptible to some of these blood sugar issues that women have. Although I am seeing a lot of males with insulin resistant, it just looks a little different for them. It may not be that full blown, you know, fat storage situation. They might have hypertension, right? Or low testosterone or other things happening um, before they realize there's an issue going on. But females are, we're going to have the thyroid issues, the hormone issues. We're going to have the weight gain sometimes, right? But sometimes it'll manifest as internal systemic inflammation. But when we are doing diets that work well for males and we think that, oh, well, we can do this diet our whole cycle. Well, our hormones are not going to love that. And we're going to start downregulating things like progesterone, right? Which progesterone is determined by our thyroid hormones. So if we are in chronic stress, chronic cortisol situation, it's going to downregulate thyroid, downregulate progesterone. And then we have this situation of estrogen dominance and just the imbalance in general, right? Progesterone is what helps us sleep. It helps us, you know, bring in the calm, the zen in our cycle. And without that, um, we're going to have a lot of cortisol issues. We're going to have a lot of blood sugar issues. Um, we're really going to have a hard time regulating. And so learning how to support through different times of our cycle and not being fed the same thing every single day is going to be vital, vital takeaway for this conversation. So another thing that I want you to think about is why we have fat, right? Like what is the mechanism behind it and what is it actually reflecting back to us, right? So fat is actually a protective mechanism. It's protecting us from excess, right? So think about excess hormones, excess toxins, glucose, and in a lot of cases, all of the above, right? So our current amount of body fat is not only reflective of our current insulin levels, which we know is our body's fat storing hormone, right? It's our protective hormone, but it's also a reflection of our toxin load and what is that fat trying to protect us from and keep out of the bloodstream. So in all essence, the amount of fat storage we have is equal to the toxin load that we also currently have, right? And you'll see this really often when someone loses a bunch of weight and then all of a sudden they gain it right back. A lot of the reasons why, and there's some other things that are happening. Sometimes it's reminiscent of what's happening with their hunger hormones not being reset properly, which we'll talk about how we do that, but also reflective of their toxin load. So if their body was creating adipose to protect itself from toxins, get those toxins out of the bloodstream, then we make more adipose, um, we lose weight. So we're shrinking fat cells, releasing those toxins. If our body's not draining or detoxing properly, right? We talk about phase one, phase two, liver detox, phase three, right? Being able to actually move and bind those toxins out. Uh, if those aren't happening and our body can't drain, or let's just say we're chronically constipated, which creates a whole plethora of like hormonal issues. I see it all the time then we are just going to continue to make more fat cells to match that toxin load that our body cannot clear. So it truly becomes this feedback loop, right? And so drainage or our ability to keep up with that toxin load around us, detoxification, methylation, all of those things, our toxin exposure, all of those things need to be addressed 
and taken into consideration when you're trying to get to a sustainable fat loss situation. So I want to flip the script here and talk about calories in, calories out, because I know that's it's the knowledge from 20 years ago and somehow it's still around, right? And we were told that as long as we stayed in a calorie range, that we could have whatever we wanted and, and truly like whatever we wanted. I don't know. I don't know if they're still around, but the Weight Watcher cookies and all of those like snack wells, diet labeled things, those were okay as long as you stayed within a certain calorie range. So the premise is you want to lose weight. All you have to do is cut calories or work out more or both, right? Let's accelerate that fat loss and do both at the same time, AKA let's wreck our hormones. Um, but that was, that was the, the going culture, right? I mean, I remember when I first started working out at the gym, I asked a trainer, I was trying to lose weight for something. And she said, just eat a thousand calories a day. And I was like, oh, okay. I tried. My hunger hormones were pissed at me and that did not work. But that was the going, and that was a trainer. That was a personal trainer. And that was just what you did. You just ate less and worked out more. But now we see that that just increases cortisol, decreases thyroid, all the all the things. Um, but the thing to know that why doesn't calories in, calories out work is because all the calories are impact us differently, right? They impact our blood sugar differently. They am, they even impact us differently at different times of the day and us ladies, even different times of our cycles. So you cannot say that the same food is going to impact you the same, whether you're eating it at eight in the morning or at midnight, because it's certainly not. And you can't say that, you know, the calories you're going to get from grass fed meat or a box of snack well cookies are going to impact you the same way because they're definitely not, right? They're going to affect in- insulin, blood sugar, all of those things. Even our hunger hormones, leptin, leptin and ghrelin, they're going to impact those all so differently and they're going to have a different response. So if that's the mentality, we really have to break that cycle because it's really actually super damaging and it's contributing to a lot of nutrient deficiencies and just bad practices in general that are leaving people more metabolically broken. The other thing is, what is the end goal, right? When you're decreasing calories, because you have to think, we talked about our metabolism as a thermostat, right? And so if you're used to eating a thousand calories a day, that's your new set point for your metabolism. That's what your thyroid has regulated to. Everything is regulated to that. So anything more than that is going to be a fat gain situation. The other thing is, is if your calories are low, but insulin is still high, you are going to burn muscle for energy, making you even less metabolic. So there's so many more things than just energy in, energy out, right? Because different foods have different energies, different foods affect our blood sugar and insulin differently. It is not the same. And our leptin and ghrelin absolutely go crazy. We never feel satiated. We can't stop thinking about food. It is just insane how primal our hormones when it comes to satiety and hunger just go bonkers because they know that we're in that starvation place. And it makes it really hard. And this is when that whole willpower comes into play, right? Where people are like, oh, it's just my willpower. And it's like, no, you're literally starving yourself. Your body's breaking down its own muscle. Your metabolism is shot. Your body's literally in a place of survival. It's not a willpower issue at that point. You're underfeeding yourself. 
And a lot of this is impacted by your body's inability to get into fat burn. So we'll talk about that in just a minute, but just know that calories in, calories out is not a thing. It is so much more complicated than that when every type of calorie impacts insulin, our fat storage hormone, differently, right? The other thing to remember about hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin. So leptin is our satiety, ghrelin is our hunger hormone. And those naturally are balanced with our body's current weight and set point. So here's another thing. If you are, you've lost weight doing some kind of crash diet, but leptin and ghrelin are largely determined by your body's ability to be metabolically flexible. So to be able to burn carbs when you eat and then burn fat when you're not eating. And so your ability to switch back and forth, which is where we should all be. That's why I'm saying we need to cycle these things. That's why I'm, I'm not saying go completely low carb, go all fat. I'm not saying that we have to cycle in between because that is how we get to that place of metabolic flexibility. We'll talk about that in a second. But our hunger hormones are set by our body's ability to use ketonic energy or fatty acids for energy. Um, so if you lose weight and still aren't metabolically flexible, you will still have the cravings of your weight loss weight. So if you were 200 pounds and now you're at 150, your hunger level and your satiety level is still at that 200 pound version of yourself until you can reset this whole process. Um, so this is even a more escalated situation, especially when you are just, you're, you've trained your body to run on carbohydrates and that happens for a plethora of reasons. We'll talk about that more too. So the, this is where we start to blame thyroid for our metabolic dysfunction. Um, because so many women have been through this dieting cycle, the overtraining cycle, right? The chronic stress. And of course, thyroid is going to be impacted by that. Remember that they are symptoms, not causes. So when it comes to thyroid, we talked about the conversion where that happens and things that block it like insulin. Um, but you also need to think about the HPA axis, right? So you think about the role of chronic stress, which is going to have a tremendous effect on your body's ability to lose weight as well. So chronic stress keeps us running on chronic stress hormones, which is going to impact blood sugar, our ability to regulate and find homeostasis. It's going to impact our sleep, our metabolic capacity, and all of our regulatory processes in the body. We were not made to be a, in a chronic state of stress. I talk about this all the time. We now live in a society where we are not only stressed from the moment we wake up to the moment we try to even get some sleep, but then on top of that, we overtrain, overwork, overstimulate, and our bodies never find a place of balance so that things like metabolism, hormones, right, digestion, things like that can actually normalize. So it keeps us in a feedback loop, um, a perpetual like hypervigilant nervous system feedback loop, which impacts not just our adrenals, right, but our thyroid our sex hormones, all of those other HPA axis loops, right? Um, and so the adrenals are going to take a hit, the thyroid's going to take a hit, and then all of the other regulatory processes that we kind of mentioned. And then once again, reiterating the fact that there are hormones involved when it comes to fat storage and metabolic health, but we are zooming way too much into the, the hormones that are the after effects, right? Not the causes. And insulin and cortisol are there at the top. They are the hierarchy of hormones that need to be considered um, that are impacting and altering your body's ability to get into that fat burning state. 
Um, and so those really have to be addressed because if you're only treating the hormone, like the thyroid or the estrogen or the progesterone or whatever it may be, you're not correcting the processes that are driving them and the root cause is still there. So the nervous system, the adrenals, sleep, gut, liver, all those need to be part of your fat loss or metabolic healing plan or the cause is still there and it will be unsuccessful long-term. Trust me when I tell you that, I see it happen all the time. People try to bypass these things and there's just too many options for easy buttons, right? We think that things won't have an effect on us. I have done some dumb stuff to lose weight. I will tell you all day long, I've struggled with disordered eating you name it, I've probably done it. I have not done Ozempic or any of those weight loss shots because those are the now like quote unquote easy button, but we're seeing those come with a plethora, not only are they black box warning, but they come with a plethora of symptoms and nine times out of 10, you're going to gain the weight right back once you stop. So that is not the easy button. It's not the answer. The problem's still there. And what they also find is that the studies for the weight loss is happening on Ozempic is most of it's coming from your muscle, which is making you less metabolic and more likely to gain even more fat when you stop. So it is not the easy, but there is no easy button, right? If you, anything worthwhile is not going to be an easy button. You have to work for the things you want if you want them to stick. Okay, off my tangent there for a second. Now let's talk about other things that are going to affect the HPA axis that keeps us in that chronic state of stress, right? They impact our stress hormones, our nervous systems, and might be inhibiting and probably are inhibiting our metabolic health by keeping us in that stress state. So think about things like blue light exposure, which has a direct effect on our energy production, our mitochondria. We hear that term all the time, but we don't really think about what is impacting it, right? A lack of natural light too much blue light exposure, too much EMF exposure, so non-native EMFs, right? You wouldn't believe how much these things that are invisible to the human eye affect us, our mitochondria, our hormones, our nervous systems, keeping us in a hypervigilant state, affecting cortisol and blood sugar, and keeping us chronically running on stress hormones and survival processes. So even though you may not see it, if you are around it, your nervous system, you're seeing signs of inflammation, right? Dysregulation, sleep issues, fatigue, uh, weight loss resistance, things like that. All of these things impact that. So don't um, down, downplay the effect that some of these things that are invisible to the eye might be impacting on your hormonal health. And another huge thing, you guys know I'm such a fan of looking at toxin load, right? We have to look at what's impacting that signaling, right? So when you're thinking about other things that directly impact the HPA axis is a class of toxins, not only known as endocrine disruptors, but on another level on this topic, obesogens, right? They're directly impacting our hormones, mimicking them often, right? Or blocking our receptors. They're burdening the liver, affecting our drainage and our systemic detoxification, but they're also doing things like damaging our cell membranes and blocking, like we said, our receptor sites for nutrients to get into the cell or even insulin receptors, right? Making us creating a situation of insulin resistance. And, you know, it's important to know that toxin load alone is enough to create a state of insulin resistance. So many people are like, I can't be insulin resistant. There's no way it doesn't run in my family and I eat healthy. And they show all the signs of insulin resistance, right? They, they have chronic fatigue. They're waking up at three or four in the morning to use the bathroom. They, um, have cravings all day long. They get hangry in between meals. Those are signs of insulin resistance, hypertension, uh, tinnitus, things like that. Chronic pain, right? Chronic 
symptoms that won't go away. That is insulin resistance. And it is so much more than you just eating healthy. It's about the timing of your meals, the way you pair your meals, um, looking into your individual tolerance, right? Your individual carb tolerance, because that's going to change, especially us ladies, especially throughout our cycle. There's going to be times where we need blood sugar to be higher. And there's times that we thrive when it's lower. And so learning that and tapping into your own individual needs is the most empowering thing you can do. So toxins like BPA, which is one of the highest offenders, right? Heavy metals, glyphosate, pesticides, dioxins, phthalates, parabens. Think about the meat and the, the produce you're consuming, the dairy. If they're on antibiotics and xenoestrogens, you are too, right? And those could be contributing to more of an estrogen dominant state, more blood sugar issues, more hormone issues, because you're ingesting what the animal ingested. So make sure that you're buying pasture raised, right? Grass fed and finished organic produce so that you don't have things working against you while you're trying to work on these goals. So like I always say, clean your food, clean your air, clean your water. Those are the top three, right? Don't jump for supplements before you've done those already and you're making sure. Like a lot of these are in a lot of, you know, beauty products, cosmetics, home cleaning products, things like that. Most people clean those up by now. Um, if you haven't, start there, right? Start, make sure your water's filtered, you're not breathing in these fumes, and make sure that they're not in your home in beauty products. A lot of people have done that. But if people are still eating conventional meat, conventional dairy, um, not buying organic food, then you're still getting those exposures and you are essentially like running in sand, you're treading water, trying to get to that place of metabolic flexibility. Um, and women, we're so much more, you know, the risk factor group for that because we have so many more products, right? So there was a study saying we walk, by the time we walk out of the house, we've exposed ourselves to 200 plus um, chemicals. And that's a lot, right? And that's just before we walk out of the house, then we have what's in our environment or um, what might be at the office or other things that we come in exposure to throughout the day. So it really is um, a matter of considering toxin load. We talked about how the body creates more fat storage due to our toxin load. Um, but we also have to constantly be thinking about drainage, detoxification, and eliminating, controlling the controllables, right? So one thing that I love to do, and I'm sure if you follow me on Instagram, you see that we look at toxin load. We look at these um, environmental toxins. We look at endocrine disruptors and see what's burdening the body, the HPA axis, the liver, your hormones, and what can your body not move out, right? Like what do we need to either stop the exposure or what do we need to help rid the body of so we can get to that place of balance? All right. So we, like I said, we get, we often go for thyroid or progesterone or estrogen for the fat storage, weight loss resistance issue. But remember that the two hormones that we really need to get into balance are cortisol and insulin. So we know that cortisol is a stress hormone. It's overused because of this epidemic of chronic stress and burnout, right? That we subject ourselves to. So toxins, our lifestyle, all these are impacting cortisol. But if you're trying to get to that place of fat, lo fat loss and metabolic healing, you have to remember that one of the largest impactors of cortisol is actually blood sugar. So while people are trying to play with uh, adaptogens and, you know, adrenal cortex and all of this adrenal cocktails and all this thing. If you get your blood sugar in check, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. 
So just kind of reviewing, like, why do we have to worry about blood sugar and insulin so much more? Well, a lot has changed since I would say the 1960s, 70s-ish. I'm a child of the leader 80s. And so did we not only start refining our carbs, right? Adding sugar to literally everything, taking the healthy fat out of everything, but we also started to increase the the number of times we are eating per day. So we are increasing our toxin exposure, our stress loads, and all of these create a perfect storm, right? For excess glucose, mitochondrial dysfunction, metabolic syndrome, excess insulin, and we just get into this very insulin dominant state. So what does insulin do? So we need insulin, right? We have receptors for insulin. We, we need it to get glucose into our cell, right? To power up our cells. That's essentially what we need it for and to also get nutrients, right? Nutrients into the cell. And so it should be one of those processes that does its thing, right? And then turns back off till it needs to come in the next meal we have. So when we have way too much glucose or way too many toxins or hormones or whatever it may be, we eventually overflood insulin and eventually our cells start to become resistant to its effects. So that means no nutrients are getting to the cell, no glucose is getting into the cell and we get into a state of stress just metabolically, right? And then after time, we see symptoms, right, that are confirming this resistance. Like we mentioned, high blood pressure, thyroid issues, inflammation, inability to heal. Um, males, one of the telltale signs is erectile dysfunction because insulin is what helps with the vasoconstriction and vasodilation in our blood vessels. So males, you know, a lot of times that's going to be a sign um, along with high blood pressure. We see that pretty commonly. Or sometimes we'll see an elevation in things like estrogen on a Dutch for males. But women, we, you know, sometimes we'll see fat gain. Sometimes we'll see things like estrogen dominance, all of those things, right? And so if what the body cannot clear, glucose-wise, hormone-wise, toxin-wise, it will protectively store in the adipose. And if we don't have enough adipose or we lost it and didn't consider drainage and toxin load, then we will make more to protect us. The other thing to note is that when glucose and nutrients don't make it into the cell, we lose our energy potential, right? Our mitochondria, this affects healing and it affects our body's ability to balance inflammation. It also affects our ability to repair cellular functions like autophagy and apoptosis, right? So when we can't repair and restore our cells properly, we start to get mutations. So everybody's obsessed with thinking about MTHFR, but thinking about the things biochemically that are contributing to these epigenetics being turned on is way more important than worrying what we're labeled with. Um, So that's what I was going to say next is our protein folding potential, right? That affects what how those what genes are actually being turned on or turned off, right? And so it's so much more than just what's happening with fat burn and fat loss, right? It's truly downregulating vital everyday energetic properties, right? Systemically in the body. So it's not just about fat loss. It's not just about weight loss. That's a sign. That's a symptom, right? A bigger guns firing. So all this to say, this is impacting not just our fat storage, but our metabolic flexibility. And this is our ability to go from burning carbs, right? The food that we eat, we don't need a ton of carbs because what our body can't process, we store, right? And if we're not storing it as body fat, it's stored as liver fat or as 
fat in our eyes, right? Macular degeneration or fat in our brain contributing to um, Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative issues. The body will find a place to store it and it doesn't always look like excess body fat. So just keep that in mind. And when we think of metabolic flexibility, we have to be able to tap into fat burning mode for the times that we don't have food. We're, we're literally created this way to be fed and then have a state of famine off and on, not constantly fed, right? And so we should all be getting into fat burn at night and um, or when food's not available to us, right? So in between meals, which there's really no in between anymore because people are eating every couple hours, right? And they're grazing and they're eating healthy food, but they're still impacting blood sugar and insulin and it's still keeping them in this dysfunctional state. Um, but we've got be, become so dysregulated with the types of food we eat, the timing of our meals, our toxin load, that our body forgets how to get to this metabolic process and how to switch back and forth. So then it ends up being just a carb burner. And this is where you get that hangriness, that shakiness in between meals because the body doesn't know where to get its energy if it's not making you crave these quick releasing carbs that it can just use immediately and store whatever it can't use. So then once again, we're impacting hunger hormones. We have some cravings and, and, you know, nine times out of 10, you're craving sweets. Sometimes it's related to our pathogen load, right? Cause they crave sugar cause it feeds them. Right. But most of the time it's because of our dysregulated blood sugar or just, just thinking about like, I need something sweet at the end of meal. That's a sign of insulin resistance. That is a sign that your food from that meal did not get into your cells because your cells are being blocked either by toxins or insulin or both. So one thing to note, and like I said, I see this all the time. People are like, yeah, no, there's no way I'm insulin resistance. My, my glucose is fine on my blood work. And it's like, mm, I mean, maybe on the one second of the day you took that test, but when you're showing signs of insulin resistance across the board, it's time to start tuning into your own biochemistry, right? Getting a CGM, learning how foods affect you, learning what's happening overnight. That is one of my favorite readings on a CGM because a lot of people are getting reactive hypoglycemia at night and they're being told to eat more often or even have a snack right before bed. But how can you fix insulin dominance by eliciting another insulin response? You have to think about what's dropping that blood sugar down. It's insulin, right? And so if you're eating more, you have more insulin, you're dropping that blood sugar even lower. So you can't fix it by eating more often. That is not how we do it. So um, it's important that you are training your body how to learn how to burn fatty acids for energy when carbohydrates are not available. It's important to help it learn how to switch back and forth between both processes. And just a side note that a lot of people when they are in the beginning stages of insulin resistance, they're gonna look at a CGM, right? And their blood sugar is gonna look super low. And that's because insulin's super high, right? Insulin is what knocks blood sugar down. So they might be looking at it and be like, oh, it's all, it's all good, I'm in range. But like I said, you have to look at the symptoms, the symptoms that are tried and true. And if you have chronic symptoms, like the ones we just talked about, or your body can't heal, it's a sign that biochemically it is stressed and inflamed and, and almost always insulin's gonna play a role in that. So if you can catch this early when the symptoms are firing, before you wait to the point that you're diagnosed with type two, it's gonna be a lot easier to rebound from it. 
Um, our bodies are designed to be fed and famine, right? We switch back and forth. And this is why we have these built-in mechanisms. We are carb burners and then we're fat burners. And switching back and forth is what makes us metabolically flexible. But the problem is, is we are constantly fed and it gives the body no time to switch in between meals, no time for insulin to drop off. And eventually this is going to impact other hormones like thyroid, like we mentioned, it's going to create symptoms like anxiety, which honestly is largely, largely driven by hypoglycemia or like I said, too much insulin. But it also increases things like estrogen, which increases adipose for some, right? but also can look like tumors and fibroids and endometriosis for, for others, right? It's not always just fat storage. And then we have this hormone issue, but you can see that if cortisol, which impacts insulin and insulin, which impacts metabolism and fat storage are not addressed, we still have that energy imbalance. Now there are some other things that block our glycolysis. And I see this a lot on an oat test like gut pathogens, right? Maybe lacking some cofactors like amino acids and B vitamins and things like that. Maybe we have malabsorption or maybe we are vegan or vegetarian and we don't take a good methylated B complex. And then of course, think about toxins like heavy metals. So once again, it's never one root cause. There are so many factors to consider when you're trying to assess and heal your metabolism, but it can for sure be done. So eating along with the body's natural circadian rhythm, right? Cortisol's higher in the morning, it peaks midday and then starts to decrease as the afternoon and evening goes on. And as that decrease happens from noon on, right, we become more insulin resistant the second half of the day. So the carbs that you have for dinner are going to impact you way differently had you had them for lunch. And that's when most people are eating their largest meal. And that's why we're starting to see things like that reactive hypoglycemia, right? Your biggest meal of the day, your body's trying to break it down. Um, you are, you have too big of a blood sugar spike because insulin is way more resistant at that point. And then your blood sugar dips low, you elicit that cortisol response and bam, you're waking up three to four at night, waking to use the restroom, waking with racing thoughts, waking, feeling shaky. All those things are happening because you had dinner too late. You had too many carbs for dinner and maybe blood sugar was erratic the rest of the day because you skipped meals. There's so many things, right? That need to be considered. And one of the biggest things that you need to learn is your body's natural rhythm, right? You learn to notice how you feel at certain times of the day. If you're having that afternoon crash because of the lunch you ate, or maybe you skipped lunch and then ate too much or was craving carbohydrates, right? Like you have to start noticing your individual tolerance. You'll know when you have too many carbs because you're going to have things like, un, you know, insatiable thirst you're going to have brain fog. You're going to have immediate crash in energy, things like that. Those are saying, Hey, I didn't tolerate those carbs. Well, right. So finding your individual response, your individual carb tolerance and blood sugar is so very important and making sure that you're giving your body time in between meals, especially that overnight one. So it's so easy to say, Oh, well, if everybody did this, this, you know, hour fast, then it would be fine. But it's really not the case. You have to be able to meet yourself where you're at. You have to start noticing how things are impacting and affecting you and then work from there. So there's never a one size fits all. There's a, a baseline, right? Like this is what needs to be supported, but you have to take that energy, that information and plug it into your lifestyle and how things are affecting you. And if you have no idea what your blood sugar is doing, get a continuous glucose monitor. I keep saying CGM. Um, I'll link 
it in the show notes along with the testing I've already talked about, the toxin labs, the oat test, the Dutch test to look at cortisol, of course, and phase one, phase two, liver detoxification, your hormones, all of that. Um, but get your individual data, right? And look and notice, do you have those signs of insulin resistance, the fatigue, the anxiety, the waking up at night, waking up with panic, right? Or anxiety or panic attacks or chronic symptoms that won't go away, inflammation, high blood pressure, um, the thirst right? that just will not go away. Those are all signs that your body does not know how to metabolically switch and it needs support. Also, I'll add on that cravings and then needing something sweet at the end of a meal. Those are huge telltale signs. Um, okay. I want to go into just something really quick. It's a little bit more abstract because we're talking about the concept of willpower and that's a tough one because we talked about how hunger hormones are impacted by things like ketones. Cravings can be caused by pathogens or even blood sugar dips or even times of our hormonal cycles where we need blood sugar to be higher. So we're beating ourselves up talking about willpower, but we can't ignore the fact that there's certain foods that are causing inflammation. So we talk about dairy and gluten all the time, right? We talk about those causing inflammation, creating cravings. Eggs can be a big one for some people. I love eggs, but if you feel like you are, you cannot get enough to eat after you have eggs, that's a sign that you're actually really sensitive to them and probably shouldn't be having them at this point. Maybe you need to do some gut healing first. Um, that's a really telltale sign of any food that you are sensitive to it or that it's a trigger for you or causing inflammation. Um, the fact that you are still very hungry after a meal. So that can be a sign of maybe it's too many carbs, right? That you still need, especially if you're craving something sweet after that you're insulin resistant, that glucose couldn't get into the cell. But if you feel like you're having something healthy like eggs and you can't get enough to eat after, that's a sign that you're sensitive to that. And then I want to build on that and talk about things like oxalates, phytic acid, and lectins, which are anti-neutrogenic, meaning they steal our nutrients, but they also contribute to inflammation. So they're going to keep cortisol high, affect blood sugar, and affect our hunger hormones. And on top of that, I would say that sugar, of course, and seed oils are some of the worst offenders for just creating systemic inflammation and keeping us in that state of insulin resistance. And I will even go so far to say like, flour in general. I would say almond flour is probably the only one that doesn't. Um, but all of these grain-free or gluten-free flours are also very highly refined. And it's important to look at the carb content of them because they are refined, right? And they're milled and they're going to go impact our blood sugar so much more directly, um, than some ground almonds, right? Because the ground almonds are still going to have the fiber and that sort of thing in them, still lower carb. So a lot of people are replacing things with like tapioca flour, but it's still spiking blood sugar. It's not the best substitute. And um, even the whole oat milk controversy, right? Yeah, it's not dairy, but it actually has a way worse profile than dairy has, right? It's got so many carbohydrates, so much sugar in it, um, and is definitely doing a disfavor to insulin, blood sugar, hormone issues, all of those things. So if you haven't cut oat milk, now is the time for sure. Um, and so many people are so hard on themselves thinking like, I know I should eat less and move more, but as you can see, right, all of these factors is so much more when our calories are literally creating inflammation and cravings, they're creating things like leaky gut, which is leading to things like malabsorption, which is causing us to have more hunger hormone, right? We're craving those nutrients that we're not getting. 
It's also contributing to things like joint pain, fatigue, things like that. So when it comes to how these foods are impacting you and your biochemistry, it's so much more than just willpower, right? It's a call to control the inflammation going in so that your body can get to the place of balance and healing. Now, I want to talk about one last piece of the weight loss journey that not a lot of people talk about, and this was huge for me. And I want to preface this to say, like, your weight is not equal to your worth, right? Your worth is not found in your weight. You're so much more than your body's ability to shrink fat cells, right? And to be a smaller version of yourself to take up less mass. However, if you want to look and feel your best and be the best version of yourself, that is not something to be ashamed of, right? And there is not vanity to be like, I know that I can be better. I know that I have more fat storage. I know something's up, right? Like I don't feel good in my own skin. At that point, it's not so much like to look a certain way or look at this person that is on Instagram. If the intention is to really be the best version of yourself, then I can get behind that for sure. It's not a comparison game. It's just, hey, I want to look and feel the best so that I can be active for my kids or I can be a good example of health and I can age gracefully or whatever your motivation is. Um, even if it's like, I just want to look and feel amazing in my clothes, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, so if you're doing all the things and still struggling with fat gain or weight loss resistance, it's okay to want more for your body and health. However, it's important to remember that this will go a lot faster when you're coming from a place of empathy for all the things that your body's trying to compensate for, right? And we talked about so many of these things. We hate our bodies when they are not working the way we want them to. But when you learn the mechanisms of how it's actually trying to protect you, that mind-body connection shift happens and things start to happen that much quicker, right? Because you're working with your body and not out of a place of hatred for it. The other thing I want to mention is stop telling yourself lies like my metabolism is broken or my thyroid is always going to suck or whatever it may be, or this runs in my family, or I always gain the weight back. I can never lose weight. Like you have to stop seeing those things and embodying that person, right? We talk about embodying the things that we tell ourselves, our thoughts, how impactful our words are, what they do to our cells, right? Like our body, our cells, our hormones, our neurochemistry, all those things are tuning in to what we repeat about ourselves all the time. And we are embodying those lies. And that was something that I had to let go of, right? I had to let go of these labels I kept telling myself and it really helps that shift, right? And that's what's really important. The other thing is trying to heal out of a place of love. Like we talked about compassion, empathy for your body. And we have a society that is so focused on aesthetics and like comparisons, right? Like comparing ourselves to the next person or thinking, oh, well, if I just get to this size, then I'll be happy. And now we are comparing ourselves with a lot of things that are actually fake, like artificial intelligence, fake, photoshopped, filtered, whatever it may be. So we have really damaging, unrealistic standards that we are constantly comparing ourselves to. And I will tell you, when you start to just meet yourself where you're at and love yourself for where you are now and know and trust that you have a plan of action, right? To be that very best version of yourself, you start to work with your body instead of forcing it to do what you think it should do. That creates that mind-body connection, right? And you get there that much quicker. And it's important to know you're worthy right now where you are. 
right? You are just as worthy 20 pounds less, 20 pounds more. And the sooner you can love yourself for everything it does to keep you alive all day long, right? And everything it's trying to protect you from. And you start to learn what it's trying to tell you through these symptoms. You stop telling yourself lies about how it will never work, right? And you start to trust the process and it will happen. All right, so I have one more little thing I want to talk about, and it's actually kind of an announcement. Um, This is the time of year I get flooded with inquiries about weight loss resistance, and I totally get it. Like, I think I get it's a new year. It's totally fine if you don't need to reinvent yourself every at the beginning of every year, right? We are just in this society that's like, oh, gosh, I didn't meet my goal last year, so I have to lose weight, whatever it may be. It's nothing to be ashamed of, but it is definitely, you know, do you have to completely reinvent yourself because it's the beginning of the year? No, you don't. But I get if you want to have a plan of action moving forward and your metabolic health is something you want to take seriously this year and just get a plan together, right? Like you don't have to set unrealistic goals, but to have an intention is going to be way more powerful than having a resolution. Um a new year's resolution, if you will, which I've never really been a fan of. I like to reflect on my year before how far I've come, right? And then try to get a fine-tuned plan of action for where I want to continue to go. So it's a little bit different. It's truly just setting intentions moving forward. But anyways, so I decided to do something I've never done before and open up a group, like a small group, right? Um, There's a lot of, I can't work with everyone, right? My time is limited and I'm extending this out to that group of people who wants to work on their metabolic health, but doesn't necessarily have the means or want to go through the lab work process to work one-on-one with me. So it truly is an unique opportunity, right? To work with me in a group like setting, um, and in an environment with a lot of people with a common goal, right? There's something to do with community and being with the same, you know, like-minded people who are all working towards the same goal. Um, so, My goal in this group setting is to educate people in depth about how to regain their metabolic health, fix their weight loss resistance, right? And we're going to meet for every week for two months until they can get on their feet, right? And have a plan of action. Um, And I really, I hesitated for a long time on doing this because I don't want to be like the fat loss coach. I think you're so much more important than your ability, your body's ability to lose fat. I do, but metabolic health is everything when it comes to healing and the health journey. So reframing this from just a fat loss program to like a health gain program is where my intention is with this. So my goal is to teach people who struggle with the things I've struggled with for most of my adult life, right? And everything that I've learned, trying every diet known to man and still not getting long lasting results, right? Wrecking my thyroid, quote unquote, wrecking my metabolism and coming back from it and being able to learn how to really truly tune into the hormones that matter Um, and combining all these aspects, right? To make it easy, sustainable and giving people the ability to work with me in this group setting that they wouldn't otherwise be able to work with me on, right? Because I don't always just focus on this one topic either. So even if you're a client of mine and you really want to tune into this part, jump in with us. It's going to be amazing. So I created a program called Healing Your Metabolism. 
um, rethinking weight loss resistance, right? That will be starting the first weekend in January. We're going to be meeting weekly through the end of February. So two whole months, it's going to be amazing. We're going to go over a topic every week and then I'm going to open up to Q and A's. So, um, I'm even going to do a form for individualized recommendations if you do need any sort of support while we're going through this process because we talked about detoxification drainage things like that that has to be considered that's why i'm keeping this group kind of small so i can still give that personalized attention that i love for my one-on-one clients um and it won't be exactly the same because we'll be in a group but it's going to be really close and it's going to be really great because we're all going to be focused on this metabolic healing right so i have a link in my bio for this i'm also going to talk about this on my instagram for the next couple weeks Um, You can sign up now. I have an early bird rate and then it will go up at the beginning of January. So definitely if you're considering it, go ahead and sign up now. Um, If you've been struggling with this like I have for most of your life or you just really need a plan of action, right? Or you need to get your intentions in the right place for the new year and learn what your body's trying to tell you by way of symptoms. This is for you, right? And then on top of that, I'm offering a discount for a Dutch test for people who sign up and NutriSense is partnering with me to offer a deeper discount for people who also sign up for this program. So we're gonna have some tools, right? They're optional to bring in. Can they be really great to bring in um, along with this program at the same time? Absolutely, and that's why I'm starting signups now so you have time to start collecting these things. Um, so I'm so excited. I'm going to put this all up in the show notes. Like I said, I'll be talking about on Instagram and I'm really excited to be doing this group. It is such a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so if you have any questions, shoot out to me at Instagram at dr.stacy.nd. And on top of that, I am wishing you and your family the happiest of holiday seasons, ending out an amazing 2023. Looking forward to the next year. And um, I will be back with new episodes in January. Thank you so much for your support this year. I cannot wait to see what next year brings for all of us. So have a great rest of your day and a rest of your year. And I will talk to you all really soon.